Hello, and welcome to our COVID Minutes podcast series from UT Health San Antonio. Our goal is to bring you timely and concise insights and updates on COVID-19 by interviewing our UT Health faculty experts who are very involved in COVID response. These on-demand podcasts are aimed at healthcare professionals and are ideal for clinicians on the go and others who want to stay up to date. Today, we are interviewing Dr. Jason Bowling, Associate Professor of Medicine, Infectious Diseases at the Lozano Long School of Medicine and Healthcare Epidemiologist at University Health. We will be talking about testing strategies and updates as well as prevention. So Dr. Bowling, I have uh, not so fond memories of March when we could not get any COVID tests. We've come a long way since then. University hospitals stood up PCR or nucleic acid testing, and then UT Health and other facilities. And now we have ready access to this test, which is being widely used. So can you go over how we're using PCR testing now and what are its advantages and limitations? Absolutely. And we certainly have come a long way, which has been great. PCR testing has really helped us out tremendously as far as keeping our providers safe and making more accurate diagnoses for our patients. But there are some, some pros and cons, some advantages and disadvantages that are important to recognize with PCR testing. So currently, the main way we're using it, the main role obviously is, is testing our symptomatic patients um, and making, you know, confirming the diagnosis of COVID so that we know how to treat them appropriately and make sure that we're using appropriate infection prevention precautions. We are now fortunately also able to do PCR testing in all of our admissions. So people are being admitted to the hospital, even if they don't have symptoms of COVID, because they may have a procedure during their stay and that will help us to know if they're COVID positive on the mission or not so that we again can make sure they're in the right room or make sure that we're using the right isolation precautions and that our, our providers doing the elective procedures know that status in case they're doing an aerosol generating procedure to prevent secondary transmission in the hospital since a lot of admitted patients have procedures during their stay. So the other place that we're doing it is testing prior to elective procedures. And for similar reason, this is for our outpatients that are asymptomatic, but they're going to have a procedure. Many of these procedures involve intubation, which is an aerosol generating procedure. And so we're also testing those patients to see if they have uh, their PCR is positive or SARS-CoV-2 indicating COVID-19 infection prior to those procedures. Because if it's an elective procedure, the nice thing is that you can reschedule that when that patient is no longer a transmission risk to others. And we're using clinical endpoints to reschedule those procedures so that patient will no longer pose a transmission, transmission risk to the providers. The, the, the pros, the biggest pro for the uh, PCR testing is the gold standard really for COVID testing at this time because it has such a high sensitivity and specificity. And so really that's its biggest strength. Very specific and very sensitive, um, but, but there are cons. And the, and the biggest con is it doesn't tell us if the virus that it's detecting is viable. And so it doesn't tell you if you have transmissible virus, in other words. Um, and so you can see a positive PCR test, which is helpful when you're initially diagnosing somebody. But if you continue to test that patient with symptomatic COVID, even after their symptoms resolve, you can still see persistent PCR positivity. And that's something we're familiar with with C. diff colitis as well. That's why we don't have a test for cure for C. diff colitis, because people can continue to have positive PCR tests long after they no longer are clinically having disease. And so that's a real issue with uh, COVID testing because we've seen PCR tests remain positive for up to 90 days, three months, and sometimes even beyond that. And that can be a real issue. Um, so that, that's a, something to be aware of. And then all tests, even though this test has very high sensitivity and positivity, 
sensitivity and specificity, there's always a risk of a false negative or false positive. So again, even though we know we have a great test, it's important to recognize the patient that you see in front of you and make sure that that test makes sense for that, that patient. And so while false negatives are very rare, they can occur. And so if you have a very high suspicion for COVID-19, um, there are times where repeating a test at waiting for at least 24 or 48 hours um, might make sense. Okay, what about the COVID antigen test? When is it used and what are its advantages and limitations? So the COVID antigen test also is being used in many places. And so it's important to know when you're seeing a patient that says they're COVID positive, what test was used, if you can find that information out. Um, the COVID antigen test, I think it's, in many ways, it reminds me of the rapid flu test is a good way to think of it. Um, it detects the antigen um, of the virus. It doesn't detect the RNA. Um, it's not as sensitive, but the specificity is good. Um, so the main advantage for the, the antigen test is it's rapid turnaround time. Some of these tests will give you a result in 15 to 30 minutes as opposed to the hours that you might wait for a PCR test to come back. And it has very good specificity, which means that if you have COVID circulating in the community, which unfortunately most of the world does at this point right now, and you have a positive test, that's very likely a true positive. But its biggest vulnerability, the biggest downside to antigen testing is the sensitivity. It's not quite as high. Some of the antigen tests are, have sensitivity around 80%, which means that one out of five patients will have a false negative test. And so it's really important that if you have a patient with symptoms consistent with COVID disease and they have a negative antigen test, the recommendation is that they should have a follow-up PCR test to really see if they have COVID disease or not, because there is a high risk for a false negative using antigen testing. Well, what about testing asymptomatic persons? Uh, we've been talking about testing symptomatic people, but increasingly, um, you know, people want to get tested before the holidays, before they see their family members, you know, after they get exposed. So what tests should they use? And, and is this a good idea? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, unfortunately, the answer uh, is, is probably not, and I may, should have, maybe should have mentioned this during the downsides of the PCR test. PCR tests work best for symptomatic patients. Um, the issue that we see with asymptomatic patients is that you are, even though PCR is the best test as far as sensitivity, you can still have false negatives with asymptomatic patients. And that's probably the population where you see the highest rates of false negatives with PCR tests for COVID disease. And we know some of that, there was a nice meta-analysis in the Annals of Internal Medicine that looked at people that were exposed to someone with confirmed COVID disease. And they looked at when those, those, patient, those exposed people had PCR tests. And what they saw was that if you went, like a lot of people might do the day after they realized they were exposed, that 24 hours after exposure, you actually have a 100% chance of a false negative test. And it wasn't until day eight that you saw the lowest risk of a false negative, but that was still at 20%. And this is with PCR, not antigen testing. This is with the most sensitive test available. So I think that points to the problem with asymptomatic testing is that there's a higher rate of false negativity. The other thing that comes up as a downside to getting testing to see if you're clear to participate with family members is that your window of, ex of exposure, the incubation period for the virus is 14 days from exposure. So if you get that test at day eight to really optimize your chances, there's still six more days after confirmed exposure where you could become symptomatic or even have asymptomatic infection, but still potentially pose a risk of transmission to others. And so I think the real risk with testing asymptomatic people, particularly if they're about to go to an event, is they may have a false sense of security that they may not be infected when in reality they could be, they potentially could be because of the risk of either a false negative 
or by the fact that the test only tells you your status at that window at time. It's kind of like taking a picture with a Polaroid camera. It's good for right then, but if you had an exposure and you're still in a 14-day window that you don't know about, you might have asymptomatic infection or develop symptomatic infection after a test, and so you might still pose a risk. So being aware of your symptoms is still going to be key and following basically the standard healthcare public health interventions to prevent transmission to others. So certainly if you've had an exposure, if you get symptoms, you should get tested at that point. But uh, if, you are, if you have an exposure and you're asymptomatic, um, it's, it's, you're likely to have a false negative if you get tested very early after the exposure. So I guess if people are thinking of getting tested before going to see family members, um, they need to be careful the you know 10 days to two weeks before they go on the visit even if they get tested the day before because if they're out running around four or five days before they get the test the test may still be negative so okay um what is the role of covid antibody testing so the role of COVID antibody testing is, is still fairly limited at this point, and that's based on the kind of limited amount of information that we have for interpretation. I think one of the really important things about COVID antibody testing that needs to be emphasized is that we still don't know how protective or how durable the immune response to having COVID infection is. And so if somebody has a positive COVID antibody, it's really important to tell them that that's not a certificate of immunity. And that's really important largely because there's a lot of misinformation circulating right now um, from very prominent figures that have had positive COVID antibody tests that say that they're immune. And we, we don't know that. Um, obviously, there's some consensus that there's probably some immunity that might last, but we don't know how full that is. It might be partial immunity, and we don't know how long it lasts. Or if you get exposed to a very high viral load, how well that immunity will protect you. So I think that's an important thing to tell anybody that gets an antibody test is that a positive test does not mean that you're immune that you might not get infected. And then the other part that's important with the antibody test is to make sure that you're using a specific antibody test. There are still some antibody tests that are available right now that actually aren't that specific and will turn positive, have a false positive for common coronaviruses that cause the common cold, um, not the SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus that causes COVID-19. And so that might also give somebody a false sense of security if they get, not only do they have a positive antibody test, but it's not even for this SARS-CoV-2 virus, it's for a common coronavirus that the majority of us as adults have been exposed to. I think the main role of this antibody test is really in patients where you know that they've been exposed and they had some symptoms consistent with COVID-19, but you're further out from mm -hmm. their infection. Because this, this test will give you, uh, it doesn't turn positive until about 10 to 14 days after infection. So if you see a positive antibody test in someone that has symptoms earlier by history of COVID, that might help you confirm that maybe the lung findings you're seeing now are resultant of a prior COVID infection. Yes, that's when we have tended to use it in when, when there's a consistent clinical picture, but it's late and... Uh, you know, the, um, the PCR test or the antigen test may already be negative. And that's a good point that you need to make sure you know what test you're using and make sure it's a specific antigen test. So how are we uh, controlling COVID in the hospital and what have we learned since the beginning of the pandemic at our hospitals? Those are great questions. Fortunately, we've learned a whole lot. And, and the good news is what we've learned is that, really to boil it down is PPE works. Um, how have we controlled COVID in the hospital? So we're doing multiple things. One thing that we're doing is that we, we talked about the universal testing of all of our patients coming into the hospital. So we test all of our patients that are being admitted for COVID-19 with PCR. 
so that we can identify those patients correctly and early on before they have procedures and before people might have been potentially exposed so that they're put into the um, appropriate private rooms with the appropriate COVID-19 precautions, which is you know, contact, gowns and gloves, a mask, um, and eye protection. We are also screening all of our providers and staff that enter the hospital for fever and for symptoms consistent with COVID-19 disease. Um, there's been a lot of repeated messaging about the importance of twice daily self-monitoring. So one of the issues we recognize is that when we screen people coming to the hospital, that's obviously just one point in time, um, but we need our providers and staff to be self-screening twice a day because they may have a community source. Um, and certainly where we've seen providers or staff turn positive, usually it's related to a community source that they're aware of. And so if, uh, part of that messaging is if you're sick, stay home so that you're not transmitting virus to other people. Um, we're doing universal masking. So everybody's wearing a mask, even for patients that are not COVID positive. In our inpatient environment, since we test everybody, we have some confidence that they may not have COVID, but we still wear masks because we're around each other. and We need to make sure that we're keeping each other safe. Um, in the outpatient setting, we also have eye protection uh, for providers that are seeing patients since those patients are not all being universally tested for COVID-19. Um, and then another important message for our providers and staff is that they can't let down their guard. This universal masking is not just while you're seeing your patients, but also importantly in the break rooms, because we all know that when we're seeing a patient or a person that we don't know, we need to be careful, but we tend to let down our guard a bit when we're around colleagues, coworkers, and friends, and they may have been exposed and unaware. And so it's important to keep those masks on in the break rooms where we spend a lot of our time writing our notes and getting a lot of work done. We recognize those as areas as pressure points. Yes, those are good points. And, and I think it's a really good point uh, to say that PPE works. Um, I, you know, I've been kind of surprised, I have to say. I feel safer coming to work because I know everybody's going to be wearing a mask than I am sometimes going out in the community. And our experience here um, has, you know, been published by others now that, um, you know, it may be more common for healthcare workers to get infected in the community than in the hospital. So, uh, you know, by and large with our PPE, uh, it makes the hospital safe. Um, so how do you think we're doing with controlling uh, COVID in the community? Do you expect us to see another surge? It looks like the numbers are creeping up. And uh, how can we prevent another surge in our community? Right, so those are great and tough questions. I, I think overall, an easier one to answer is that, you know, San Antonio overall, I think has, has done really well. Um, our community has done a great job with masking for the most part. Um, and so I, I've been pleased to see when I do have to go into the public uh, domain, the grocery store and other places to see people wearing masks. Um, and so that's, that's been good. Um, the numbers are going up. And so I, I think in part that reflects that there's a lot of selective pressure in, across the world, particularly in the United States right now. Um, and there's also you know, COVID fatigue is real. Understandably, everybody is tired of wearing the masks and this physical distancing and not having activities as normal um, and, and wanting to move forward as though this pandemic is over. Um, and so I think that is somewhat reflected in this uptick that we're seeing. Um, in addition to seeing people kind of traveling now more than they were before. Um, and, and so the mask, it, it, masking is really important. Um, how do we prevent this fits into that? And it really is dependent on our behaviors and our choices. Um, and if we choose to continue to ignore that the virus is around, we're gonna to continue to see these cases go up. I think it's really important for us to just be real with each other and ourselves and recognize that the pandemic continues. Um, if we continue these measures, we can continue to keep things open, which is important. We want our kids to go to school. We want our businesses open. 
And so we need everybody to do their part by doing the masking, avoiding the large crowds, continuing the distancing and the hand hygiene. Those are really gonna be key to keep this uptick in numbers from continuing to increase so we can avoid the types of numbers that we saw earlier this year back in July. Yeah, and also I guess, um, you know, just the fact that we, you know, the other coronaviruses that we know of, the common cold ones are seasonal viruses. You know, they prefer the cold, uh, they get passed around more when people are inside more like we are getting to be this time of year. So, um, so yeah, we have to keep doing the same thing. And, and I think our local leaders have done a great job of, uh, you know, encouraging everyone to uh, wear a mask and watch their distance. So that's been very helpful to San Antonio. Um, so uh, any advice for Thanksgiving gatherings? I think for Thanksgiving gatherings this year, one of the key things that I think is really important is trying to avoid large family gatherings. Family gatherings at this point have been identified actually as the top venue for transmission. Kind of, we all knew from the first wave that gyms, particularly bars and restaurants were top three, uh, but family gatherings now is really gatherings, you know, gaining traction. And it's not a surprise, we're moving into the holiday season. People wanna have these large family gatherings, but really this year, it's gonna be important to try and limit those, um, particularly with people at risk. So our older patients, grandparents, people with health problems, we should really do more video conferencing, uh, um, Zoom, FaceTime, whatever, video conferencing, there's so many apps now with them, um, as opposed to all getting together. If there are family gatherings, they should be small, ideally outside. People should wear masks when they're not eating or drinking. And really some advice that's from the CDC that I think is good advice is people should bring their own uh, meal, food, not, don't have a big potluck because the sharing of food is another way, another vehicle for transmission. Um, but really, I think this year, as much as Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday, I think it's best this year to try to keep it limited and do it by video conferencing so that everybody can really enjoy it next year when hopefully we have more readily available availability of vaccines um, to keep us better protected. Okay, good. Thank you for that, Dr. Bowling. And we will be talking about vaccines in one of our upcoming podcasts. Um, we've made great strides in the availability of testing and uh, it's important to understand what the tests tell, tests tell us exactly, as you've outlined. As we look at the gradual increase of cases in our area, we want to avoid overwhelming our hospitals, and so we need to continue to be faithful in using methods known to control the spread of the disease. That includes wearing a mask, watching our distance, and washing our hands. Join us next time as I have a conversation with Dr. Ruth Berggren, Professor of Infectious Diseases at the Lozano Long School of Medicine here at UT Health. We'll be discussing strategies for outpatient COVID management. Thank you.